0: listening to Crossword, where cultural clues lead to the truth of the word. My name is Michelle McAloon, your host, and you can find my podcast and other great Catholic radio programming on archangelradio.com. And I'm also a Twitter bird, and you can find me on Twitter at Michelle McAloon1. Today, we have an author from the great state of Alabama, the author of Shooting at Heaven's Gate, Kay Park Hinckley, a winner of many prestigious writing awards. She's a fine arts graduate from my hometown of uh, Spring Hill College in Mobile, Alabama. She studied creative writing at the University of Alabama, Roll Tide. After 20 years managing her own advertising agency, she began to write fiction full-time. She is married to George Hinckley and is the mother of five children and grandmother of 13. And you can visit her online at kparkhinkley.com. Welcome, Kay. Well, thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here. Believe me, we are more than happy to have you here. <laughs> so <laughs> you have written a wonderful book, Shooting at Heaven's Gate, and it is set in South Alabama, in Bethel, Alabama. It, that is a real city, right? No, that's a fictional town, but it is a real setting. A, there are many okay.
1: little riverfront towns on the Chattahoochee, so...
0: actually. Bethel University or Bethel College, is that a real place?
1: No, the town and the college are fictional.
0: Give us a little synopsis of your story.
1: Okay, well, basically, if I were just going to put it in a paragraph, I would say that it's a story of sinners and saints set in that small riverfront town that was once such a bustling place that it was called Heaven's Gate by riverboat captains on the Chattahoochee. And basically, it's a theology of the cross novel in which faith confronts suffering and struggles to win. It it has a number of characters in it, some good, some bad. It was interesting to me to find out why they acted as they did in the novel, even though I wrote it. Uh (laughs) There There are many, many reasons why people do evil things, and there's some evil in this book specified by one main character called Mal, who is a a teacher, too. Some of the people return to innocence, the innocence they had as a child. Mal does not. He's a diabolical symbol in the novel. He never repents. He never recognizes goodness. He can't love anyone but himself. And, of course, that attitude is a battleground for greed and power and for jealousy and revenge, so, when Mal perceives Jenny, who is Edmund's wife, become more powerful than he is, his intention is to destroy her, but not by his own hand. He uses Edmund to do it.
0: You have a couple. Let's kind of set up the story here. So, you've got it's in a university setting, part of it opens with a university setting. So, you've got Jenny and Edmund, they're two professors. And then you have Mal, which I love that name because Mal in French means evil, pain, exactly. horrible. It's yeah, it's uh, it's not a good fait de mal means I'm sick or you've hurt me. I, it's not a good phrase to use. You have that, but then you also have a family setting where you have two twin sisters, you have a daughter, you have actually two daughters there between the twin sisters and a third person named. Jose, and you—you kind of wrap the plot around the fate of these people. Yes, well,
1: they—they are so distinctly different. The family situation with the two twins. Now they have their problems, or but they're so different in their attitudes towards life than Mal and really Edmund. But Ed, Edmund actually is a, a wounded person. He. Can be blamed for what he does, of course, but there are reasons for it, and I, I suppose there are reasons for Mal's evilness. But he, a person who is just bad, and his influence over all these people—the fa- the good, the good in the family side—and Edmund and Jenny results in really a tragic consequence—a real mass shooting. Yeah. So.
0: Yes. And it's not hard to without giving it away. And I have to tell you, I did not read the last 25 pages of this novel because I have the worst reputation of giving novels away on my (laughs) podcast. I'm I'm glad
1: you didn't because it does have an interesting (laughs) ending and I won't give it away either.
0: Okay. So I did not, uh, because I purposely, I've had, I've had authors want to shoot me after these podcast interviews. So, because I give away the end, the story is really well-written. The narrative is very crisp. It's very fast paced. And you actually bring out the essential elements of these characters. And like you said, Mal is born bad. He is just what my mother from Alabama, from Chickasaw, Alabama, would say he was a bad seed. He just, he started, yeah, he started off life like that. And I like how you described Edmund. Edmund, who is basically a broken, kind of wounded person through no fault of his own. But Mal uses Edmund to forward his diabolical kind of agenda. And I could not help but think when I was reading your book, if this is what happens to mass shooters, whether it's an individual or whether it's social media or whatever evil name is out there, whatever name evil is calling itself at that point, if this is what kind of promotes people to go and do these horribly heinous crimes.
1: I think that's right, because, well, you know, today we're living in an age of mass shootings and they make no sense. It's as if. No, they don't. It's as if respect for the lives of other human beings have just been thrown out of the window. And the people who do this are like Mal in the novel. They are acting as total narcissists on evil impulses, thinking only of their self-importance. And unfortunately, more and more people seem to be falling in this uh dangerous behavior and you may when you said social media, that's probably a big cause of it and then I think family situation too is a is a huge part of it, and of course, oh absolutely, yeah, their behavior is the opposite of goodness though, and that I wanted to show goodness in this novel too, especially in Alma and Angelina and Jose, who have struggled with loss and suffering, and yet their faith sees them through. You don't find that in Mal, especially. You find increments of it in Edmund because he had, when you read the novel, you'll see that he had exposure and sometimes deep exposure to the faith, but he loses it all because he's partly because of his personality, partly there are other things. But anyway, that I tried to put a little humor in it, too in the novel between the twins Pauline and Moline but they play very good they have very important messages to give or you know they're important people in the novel all my characters even though they're bad I love them (laughs) I I just love to to get into their heads and see why are you doing this but um, neither of those twins is perfect Moline falls into serious sin and a sin that she finally faces and her, again, you wouldn't think so. Can probably imagine who is responsible for her falling into sin, too. Because you'll have to read the book to find out. But
0: way you describe these women, I'm a Southern woman. I, I was brought up by Southern women great strong southern women and i tell you i could see pauline in uh, the southern ladies that i have met the southern characters that i have met a it's a great novel it's a southern novel it's definitely a regional novel you talk about the camellia bushes and how the camellia bushes are beautiful they're almost angelic and then they die and they and it's i almost thought that was sort of a symbolism too And they save them from the frost one year, but in the next year or two, they die of rot, they die, they die, right? Right. And that to me was such a regional place, a regional symbolism, because the camellias in South Alabama are so beautiful. Right. That is
1: very true. And I've tried to use a lot of things like that in the book to show life itself through the geography, through through the early years of Alabama even, or any state, and th- through plant life and through just the miracles of the earth, how it's a rise and fall and then a rebud, And so hopefully in this book, that's what people get out of it. I have a, a lot of, I think a lot about that because we're, we're in such an evil age really right now that you wonder if you'll ever get out of it. But then you look at a beautiful flower and you know that it dies, but it's reborn because maybe not that exact same flower. Hopefully it'll be, you know, as beautiful, but there's rebutting of the earth and there's rebutting of humanity too. If people open their hearts and listen to God, they will be able to not only sustain themselves, but through grace Reach Heavenscape.
0: One of your questions that you have in your novel is why does God allow for suffering if God is so powerful and so omnipotent? Right. And you do a great job of showing that the suffering can be directed towards a greater good. And ultimately, it is about our freedom to choose God. Or to turn away from God, absolutely
1: about our freedom, because God doesn't send us to hell or heaven. We send our we send ourselves by our actions, and that's why I call this a theology of the cross novel. This novel was based on a short story that Wise Blood Books did my um, short story collection, and I, it was one of my favorite short stories in there. And so the the idea for the novel happened those years ago, but the uh, one of the Reviewers for my short story collection called this a Theology of the Cross novel. And to me, that meant when faith confronts suffering and struggles to win, that's when grace comes. I mean, when you're at the at your dead end of something or anyone, that's a moment of grace, actually. Through that suffering, that's a moment of grace, and change can come then. For many people in this novel, it
0: does. For some, it doesn't. And that's true of life, I think. True. Some people are, yeah, some people are going to choose to live by grace. They're going to sin. They're going to be redeemed. But they're going to try to live by God's grace. They're going to try to live by God's mercy. But there's some people who actually— whether it's because of psychology or personality disorder, they are going to continually turn away from God. And I think it's very interesting that your main character is a, Mal, is a psychologist at a university. Oh, yeah. And I think that speaks volumes. I it do It speaks too. volumes. Yes. Yeah. 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 I just thought that was right on because psychology without the correct anthropology, the understanding of the human being as as created by God gets very dangerous. And you do a great job of showing what psychology looks like without the complete Christian understanding of the anthropological makeup of a human being.
1: Well, thank you, Michelle, because that—that I I did want to show that, because it's my belief, too. I want to say one other thing about suffering, because uh, a lot of people in the novel do suffer. But I don't think that it's a bad thing that God allows suffering. I mean, I think it is a way we get through heaven's gate, so to speak, because it is when we have to choose. We can just go with the crowd or the mass shooters or the riders or whatever like that. Or we can patiently, not liking to suffer, but we can look in that suffering and see what is the good in it here. And you will find it. It's grace at the moment of when you think you're just destructed, but you're not.
0: I agree with you. Absolutely. I do not believe that God hurts his creation for a reason. I believe God has given us enough freedom to understand that there can we can find value in suffering. We can find grace in suffering. Do I wish that humanity didn't have to suffer? Yeah. yeah. I wish Adam never ate the apple. Right. Yeah. But you know what? In our absolute freedom, and this is what I don't think we understand as human beings, because that absolute freedom gives us amazing amount of responsibility toward ourselves, toward each other, towards God. And maybe we don't want to understand the degree of freedom so we don't have to bear the responsibility. I think you're totally right about that. I mean, a lot of people, we all do,
1: shirk responsibility when it looks too heavy for us. So we we don't go out and stand with courage against something like Edmund in the novel, we just cower, let the world or evil or whatever take over us. But we have a free will. And if we ask for it, we can get that courage and we can get that goodness that's in every one of us, really, which is just like peeling back an onion. You got to, you know, to find it. Sometimes it's hard. And it's hard for some, it seems to be harder for some people than it is for others. And that doesn't seem fair, but yet we don't know God's mind. I mean, it's so much bigger than ours. It's like we're insects and he's a human being. I mean, you know, it's that much of a big difference. We don't know God's mind. He's so fabulous and so big and enormous. So we can't judge that way. But anyway.
0: One of the great things you also use in your book is art. Yes. Yes. And whether it's Shakespeare whether it is ballet or whether it is English literature, these, I believe when done well by the human being are actually a reflection of the creator. And we are imperfect now, but we still have beauty and that beauty will be so much more once we get to heaven's gate.
1: Oh, you're so right about that. And yes, I I did try to use art and the literature. Of course, literature is a key thing in the novel with Jenny, Macbeth seemed to be sort of a comparison to me of Edmund because he wasn't totally evil, but he was led that way. So I tried to put in a lot. And then the Swan Lake Ballet, all of these things are symbolic to me anyway, And I hope it comes across to the reader.
0: It does. It really does. This is a very well-written book. It's well-paced. I think, and I always joke about summer reads, but I think this is great summer reading. So if you're looking for something, audience, if you're out there looking for something to read, get this book. It's an easy read. It's not heavy. But the thoughts and the ideas in it are so profound. And these are things that I think as Christian people we need to be thinking about. Was there anything in your life that inspired you to write this short story that later became the novel?
1: Yes. A mass shooting actually happened in a little town next to mine. I live in Dothan, which is a medium-sized town now, but the little town outside of it, a man, young man, through we think now revenge and greed, shot his family went downtown, shot everybody he could. And it was just unbelievable for other people around here. Nothing like that had really happened in a little bitty town like that. And so that, I mean, we were all shocked. So that caused me to wonder about the character and what could have caused it. So that was really the initial idea for the novel there, or for the short story that led to the novel
0: our legislature now is talking about all kinds of gun legislation and regulations and all of this kind of stuff. But I believe the further we get away from God, the more violent we become as individuals and as a society. So we can try to do kind of this nuts and bolts stuff, but the real granularity of the problem is basically is a turning back to God, a turning back to the family, a turning back to the heart of the individual. So true, Michelle. That is so true.
1: I agree with you hundred percent.
0: The way you did the psychology of Edmund and of how he was used and manipulated, I just thought it was huge that was so symbolic of these people that are doing the shootings. I, I thought that was one of the best descriptions I have read or have seen. And so the, the book has immense value with it. I chrism press Rhonda Ortiz. She's got such a great eye for picking up good authors with good stories, with really thought provoking and profound stories. This would be a great book club read for, I think, uh, women of all ages and maybe even men, too. That's what I would hope. I've got questions. Have, <laughs> I've got the questions I can use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just so much to discuss in this book. That's what books should lead us to, anyway, is to discussion and to communion with each other. So this is a great example. Do you have any writing, future writing projects? No. Uh, well, I'm really just
1: tr- trying to finish this one up. Sometimes I write two at once, but that's one takes over and I go for that. So I don't have any real. Uh, writing projects. I have that's to be determined, I guess, in the future.
0: We have been speaking with Kay Park Hinckley. She is the author of a beautiful book, Shooting at Heaven's Gate. It's by the amazing Chrism Press. And I would really encourage people to go out and buy this book and start a book club read. It'd be a great summer read to then take to your September book club meeting. So how is that? That sounds
1: wonderful to me.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I've enjoyed well, it so much, uh, Michelle. Kay Park Hinckley, it has been great talking to you. You have been listening to Crossword, where cultural clues lead to the truth of the word. My name is Michelle McAloon, your host. You can find my podcast and other great Catholic radio programming on archangelradio.com. And please find me on Twitter at Michelle McAloon1. God bless y'all.